Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Hebrews chapter 4, and we're just going to read the, the, first, uh, the first 13 verses. So over to you, Emma. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed entered that rest, just as God has said. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Thank you, Emma. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that your word is alive and active. And even though we are not physically present together, your word can never be chained. It can never be stopped. Your word is powerful. Your word can go through locations and technologies and uh, is not affected by viruses. Your word has a power. Uh, And we pray that that power would come into our lives and our hearts and our minds now and do us good. And you would teach us the rest, even in coronavirus frenzied times, a rest that Jesus can bring. In whose name we pray. Amen. The relentless search for rest. I wonder if you've ever had that feeling of being on holiday or being at a day off and yet being unable to rest You're having time off to rest, but you cannot rest. Maybe you're just exhausted, and so the rest just feels wasted, and that frustrates you, and then it goes, and you get annoyed at yourself. I can't rest today. I'm supposed to be resting, and then you 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 work yourself up, and then the day passes, and it's over. Uh, maybe you cannot switch off from, from the work's activities. You know, your mind is, is racing. There's tasks, there's deadlines, there's people, there's to do, there's pressure. There's, I've got to work from home now. There's coronavirus scares. I can't rest. How can I rest? 
Maybe you cannot disconnect from your phone or social media or the breaking news or people's messages. And you know, you should be switching off, but in all honesty, you're not sure if you've ever switched off because you don't disconnect. First thing you do when you wake up in the morning is look at the phone. Last thing you do at night is look at the phone. It's just life is one constant connection and there's no breaks. There's no stillness. There's no stopping. There's no rest. Or maybe you're on holiday or maybe you're having a great day and everything's going well and the sun is shining and the birds are singing and it's beautiful, but you've had a fight with your spouse or with a friend or a family member or a child of yours. And it doesn't matter how great the day is, you can't rest because there's relational discord in your life and you feel distant and, and tense. And it doesn't matter how much physical rest you get, that emotional rest will never come. Or maybe you're a parent of young children and you're majorly sleep deprived and the cumulative effect of many weeks and months of living off scraps of sleep as your beloved young ones keep you awake night after night. And it's not just night, it's the day. The kids are relentless, never ending. They always want your attention. When they don't have att your attention, they whine or cry. Rest? You're a, you're a parent of a young child. What is rest? I used to know what rest was. Rest is a luxury. And you sometimes dream in your mind of, a beach and a book and no one disturbing you. The relentless search for rest. I wonder if you know what I'm on about. I'm sure you do. I think we all do. Well, there's good news on offer today. Hebrews chapter four wants to offer us rest. The writer mentions rest nine times in 11 verses. And don't forget who he's writing to. He's writing to Jewish Christians who are under great persecution at the hands of the Roman Empire. In Hebrews chapter 10, we learn that they'd been publicly ins insulted and they'd experienced horrendous things like the, their property being confiscated. And things were getting worse for them. The pressure was heating up, the, the fire was getting hotter, and some may now have to count the cost of their very life because of Jesus. And so many who are therefore thinking of going back to their Jewish ways and giving up their allegiance to Jesus. And to this group of Christians, the writer of the letter of Hebrews has the audacity to say, no matter what your circumstance, no matter what your pressures, no matter what the tension, no matter what the past, no matter what life throws at you, no matter what the future, no matter if our world is consumed by coronavirus, there is rest on offer everyone. Which means the writer cannot be talking about purely a physical, mental, relational, emotional ease, comfort, because these Christians knew nothing of ease and comfort through physical circumstances. No, the writer is talking about rest in God, rest of the soul, rest in your inner being, no matter what your circumstances. You could say the writer is saying rest in who you are. And what we're going to learn today is our, our inability to rest is actually a, a, a symptom of a deeper restlessness of the soul that we all feel. But Jesus is able to help us with. So let's think about this. The elusive search for rest outside of Jesus, the rest of satisfaction we can find in Jesus, and then practically learning to enjoy the rest we have in Jesus. The elusive search for rest outside Jesus. When Emma read the passage there, it's actually an argument that starts in chapter three where the, where the writer to Hebrews introduces Psalm 90, 
5. And it's a psalm that talks about the whole generation of the Israelites that were promised rest in the promised land. They've been rescued by Moses through the Red Sea, out of slavery in Egypt, and the promised land was before them and they could have rest. But they'd fallen into unbelief and disobedient. And so God swore in his anger that he would not let them enter his rest. Not even Moses was able to enter the rest of the promised land. And so the psalmist is writing to a later generation, helping them reflect on this. And the Hebrew writer is writing to a generation even later. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to us today using Psalm 95 to say, do you remember that generation that had all those promises and all that great rescue from God? And yet they didn't enter the promised land because they were disobedient and, 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 um, and started to backslide and were full of unbelief. Don't make the same mistake. Don't let your hearts become hardened. Don't stop believing. Don't miss out. Don't become disobedient. When the pressures externally come on us, let's not fall into the same mistake of those Israelites. And the writer hammers the point home in verse eight, if you have a look at it there, because he says, you know, not even Joshua could have brought them into the rest. And when Joshua did bring them into the promised land, he says, well, there was still another rest, verse nine. That, that, that wasn't the final rest. And when, and when you, because when you realize in the promised land quickly, and I'm just personally in my devotions, read Judges, Samuel and Kings, when you, they're in the promised land and they're, they're enslaved to idols and they're following the practices and the lifestyles of the nations around them. And, 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 and they're not obeying God. And, and eventually they too are kicked out of the land and exiled. In other words, the promised land that Joshua brought them into was a foretaste of the true rest God wanted to bring to his people. It wasn't the final destination because when they got there, they, they didn't find that inner rest. And they still, their heart, their, the rest of the heart, the heart still went astray and they still worshiped idols and fell into unbelief and disobedience and immorality. So what's going on here? Why not? Why couldn't, why can't we find rest? Why couldn't they find rest? Well, to understand that we have to go all the way back to the beginning. Let's read these verses again. Now, we who believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere else, he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. The writer says, you want to understand the rest that we all search for, we can't find, that not even Moses could bring them into in the promised land. You've got to go back to the beginning, to the creation of the heavens and the earth. Do you remember how the story goes? God creates the world in six days. And at the end, and each day he says, and it was good, and it was morning and evening, and he looks and he's pleased and he's satisfied with each day's work and it's finished. But the seventh day, we read this, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. So the climax of the creation story is not mankind on, on, on day six, but actually God's rest. In other words, mankind isn't the pinnacle of God's creation, God's rest. And God himself is the pinnacle of God's creation. We are not the center of this world. God and his rest are the center of this world. It's the seventh day when God's work is finished and he rests and he sits down. The word for Sabbath in, he, in, in the Hebrew language is, is derived from the same root word as to sit down. God sat down. The work is finished. So what does it mean for God to rest? I mean, does God get tired? Does he need a physical break? Does he go, oh, the work has taken it out of me? 
Like, I'm in recovery mode now. I'm just so exhausted. Of course not. Do you remember Isaiah? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. God doesn't rest because he gets tired. What does it mean that God rests because he's got emotional disconnection and he's got a relationship problem? No, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit from all eternity have been worshipping and have been delighting and enjoying and praising and serving one another. God isn't physically tired. God isn't emotionally exhausted. There's no discord in his relationships with, with, within himself. He's not full of pressure and tension and exhaustion. So what does it mean for God to rest? It's not mental tiredness, physical tiredness, emotional tiredness, or relational tiredness. What does it mean for God to rest? Did you see it there by the seventh day? Look at the screen. God had finished. That's what it means for God to rest. For God to finish something. And so after every day, when he looks back at his creation and the work of each day is finished, he says, and it was good. And it was good. For God to rest is for God to be satisfied. The work is done. The work is finished. The work is good. I can sit down and enjoy the work that I finished. I was teaching this to the guys at 6.30 Faith and Work the other day, and it, we, we realized that a lot of us had a challenge to think about this. Um, but we, we thought about the, the, the idea that that enjoyment, that satisfaction that comes from finishing something. So every time I prepare a talk like this one uh, for church and I finish the talk, I just go, oh, I, I just rest in a new because the talk is done. Or at HubSpot, where I work as a salesperson, when I close a new sales deal and I've been pursuing someone to try and close them to buy HubSpot and they buy HubSpot and then I rest. Or at home, when we've had our family dinner time and then we have some small family devotions and we play games and then we put the children to bed and, you know, it's, it's, it's a fun part of the day, but it's a full on part of the day and the kids go to bed and then you rest. Or I get home, Jacob and I yesterday, uh, we went on, a, he, he cycled, I ran, it was a 10K run around where we live in South Dublin. You finish the run and you feel so good because you can rest after doing the work. I wonder if you know that feeling of rest being satisfaction, that the work is done and the work is good and the work is finished and you can sit down and enjoy it. Now, what's interesting, if you've really read carefully Genesis 1 and 2, you will see that the seventh day is very different. It doesn't have the refrain, and there was evening and there was morning the seventh day. Every other day did, but the seventh day didn't. In other words, the seventh day was never supposed to end. The seventh day was forever. Humanity was meant to live in God's seventh day rest of satisfaction. That feeling of completion, that feeling of contentment, that feeling of, of rest, we were supposed to live in that rest. And think about it, the first thing Adam and Eve do after being created day six, they have a day of rest, day seven. The first thing humanity does is enter the never-ending contentment and satisfaction and joy of God. They're invited to soul rest, that perfect contentment of who you are that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have enjoyed forever. This is God's way of saying to you and me, you do not have to do anything, you do not have to be anything to know rest in life. Your rest comes from knowing me. I provide the rest. There's nothing to earn. You don't, you don't have to prove yourselves. 
I give you rest. Enter my rest. But as we mentioned at the start, we can't find that rest. Our generation could be called the burnout generation. The statistics on burnout are increasing. What happened to the seventh day? Well, if you remember the story of Genesis 1 and 2, in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve do what Israel did. Well, Israel did what they did, I should say. But Adam and Eve fell into unbelief and disobedience. And like Israel, they were exiled, not out of the promised land, but out of the Garden of Eden. And what happens when Adam and Eve turn away from God? Well, think that God curses our world and the curse has some ramifications to rest. Work, which was good and fruitful, becomes toil. And by the sweat of Adam's brow will he now work. And work becomes pointless and burdensome. And relationships, which were once harmonious and perfect, become fractious and we fight. And so in Genesis 4, we have the first ever murder in history. Cain kills his brother Abel out of jealousy. Work is broken, relationships are broken, and we are broken. Emotional instability. We don't know, we're not confident in ourselves anymore. We were told in chapter two that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. They had nothing to prove. They were completely confident in themselves because they were confident in God because they'd entered God's rest. But now they lost that rest. They rebelled against God and suddenly guilt, shame. We feel inadequate. We're not good enough. So what do they do? They hide from God. They make fig leaves to cover up. They start blaming each other. Suddenly inadequacy. We're not content with who we are. We don't have that rest of the soul. We wish we could rest, but we can't find that rest. We become restless. The seventh day is over. You could say there was evening and morning. It came on the seventh day because of our sin. And we learn about Cain that after he killed Abel, he God places a curse on him and says to Cain, you're going to be a restless wanderer. Sorry, that's not wanderer, wanderer on the earth. And actually that is, we inherit that. We are restless wanderers on the earth. Part of our fallen condition is restlessness in our hearts. That's why we're so driven. That's why we can't switch off. That's why we get anxious. That's why we get jealous. That's why we can't switch off our phones and disconnect from social media. That's why we have a relentless thirst often deep in our being for power and money and acceptance and approval and comfort and climbing the career ladder. That's why our world panics when they hear of coronavirus. Not because it's not deadly, but because we are under the illusion that we are in control. And coronavirus reveals that that is just an illusion and we panic. The, the restless in our, in our hearts is quickly revealed by external circumstances. You know, one of the ways you know you're restless is that you cannot stand to see other people progressing in life when you're not. You can't celebrate them winning. It just annoys you because you feel inadequate. You don't have rest of the soul. And all of those are just symptoms of a deeper alienation not from ourselves and from one another and from our world but from God we haven't got the contentment and satisfaction we used to have in his seventh day as many doctors will tell their patients if you want to get better stop tackling the symptoms and start tackling the disease the problem 
you know, the coronavirus is deadly, but not as deadly as sin and not as deadly as the real problem, which is our desire to prove ourselves. I did not desire for self justification. I desire to show how great we are in our own efforts, whether it's holidays or cars or houses or families or jobs or careers or achievement or money or power or relationships or sex or being in control or even being religious and moral and good. Whatever it is, there's some way that we all say, that's how I'm going to find rest. I'm going to do it. But the rest never comes. The story of human history is the story of Cain, an elusive search for rest outside Jesus. Not even Moses, not even Joshua could bring the rest. None of them could bring the rest. But the writer to the Hebrew says in Jesus, now we who have believed in him, enter that rest. The rest that we receive comes not through works, but by faith. So let's talk about, we've talked about the elusive search for rest, the relentless search for rest outside of Jesus. What about the rest of satisfaction we can find in Jesus? Do you remember these famous words? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is offering us rest we lost. The rest of being content where in our souls, in who we are. We'll be content in our inner beings. We won't need to hide. We won't need to strive. We won't need to prove. We won't need to jostle. We won't need to control. We won't need to manipulate. All those things that come from that inner restlessness that we're not content in ourselves will be gone because we now know rest from Jesus. And how does it feel? Gentle, humble, easy, light. We'll be able to switch off. We'll be able to, you know, one of the signs that our world and you and I are restless is, do you find this? You can't live in the present. You're either nostalgic about the past or you're looking at the future and you're thinking the future will bring rest, but the present never seems to bring it. Or you, you look back with rose-tinted spectacles, the past was restful. And when you find rest in Jesus, you stop looking, you're living in the future. You stop looking, living in the past. You live in the present and no rest. How do you get this rest? Do you earn it? Do you work for it? Do you strive for it? Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give. Just as Adam and Eve were given rest on the seventh day, so Jesus says, I'm bringing back the seventh day. I'm opening it up. It's a gift again. You don't strive for it. You're given it. Let me ask you this. What did it cost Jesus to give you that gift of rest? Jesus wouldn't cover up, but he'd be stripped naked, literally naked on a cross and nailed to it. So all of our shame would go on him and we could have a clean slate. Jesus would not try and earn his status and prove himself. He would give up. He would not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but would take the very nature of a servant and be found as a human and be nailed to a cross so we could become children and have a worth and a value beyond our dreams. He wouldn't look to prove himself. He'd be humiliated, mocked, spat upon, punched in the face to say, that's how much I approve you. And think about the cross. Think about the cross as a cosmic restlessness. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew an eternal, infinite, agonizing, cosmic restlessness of his soul 
on the cross. It's, it's, it's almost, can you imagine it? The father and the son knew relational discord. From all eternity, they'd had rest in that relationship. And now the father pours out his anger on Jesus to take the punishment for our sins. They'd only ever known love and delight in themselves. And now there's a rift. Now there's separation. Now there's tension and enmity. It's unimaginable. The eternal harmony was broken. Why? Because Jesus was earning back our Sabbath rest to give it us for free. He was paying what needed to be paid so we could have it for free. And on the cross, what else does he say? It is finished. And the book of Hebrews says he's a high priest who sat down because the work is done. Divine love and divine justice was satisfied. And our high priest sits down to say, I've done the work so you can rest. I have enabled you to re-enter the Sabbath day of God, where you're content in him, you're content in yourself, you know that you're loved beyond your wildest dreams, and therefore you don't need to prove yourself anymore. Jesus worked so we can rest. Jesus lost his soul rest so we could have rest for our souls. Forever, you and I could look back at the cross as God's objective sign cemented forever in history, which will never change to say, that's how much God loves me. That's how much God approves me. That's how much God is for me. I can stop trying to prove myself. If God is for me like that, I don't need to keep striving. We could no rest. The seventh day is returned in Jesus. We come to him and we know his rest. So what about learning to enjoy the rest we have in Jesus? What does the writer say? He said, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Today, you and I, for anyone who enters God's rest, also rest from their works, just as God has from his. Do you see verse 10? Anyone who enters God's rest. This is the seventh. We're going back into his rest. His work is finished and we enjoy his finished work. As he is satisfied, we become satisfied. And then verse 10 says, just as he rests, look at it. Anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. We can stop the work of self-justification. We can stop the work of striving. We can stop the work of needing to be prettier, thinner, richer, fitter, better, further up more in control, whatever it is, we can stop it. We can stop that work. Because God rested, we too can rest. That desperate need to prove ourselves, that desperate need to be in control, that desperate need to know that we can get on control. No, it's okay. God is in control and his work is finished. If you know that inner rest of the soul that helps you overcome your need for self-justification, you can take a day off a week. You can switch off from work in your mind. You can switch off your social media for a day. You can say no to people when saying yes would put you over capacity. You can celebrate when others succeed, even if you don't. It doesn't threaten you anymore. You can enjoy this moment rather than thinking the next moment is what it's all about. Just enjoy this moment. You won't get anxious. You'll stop freaking out about failing. And even if you fail, it's okay. My identity is no longer wrapped up in my performance. Life won't actually feel like a constant performance or comparison. You'll be able to open up to others and be vulnerable. You won't hide your sin and inadequacies anymore. If you're a parent, you won't add to your physical exhaustion the exhaustion of comparison. Like, am I as good a parent as they are? 
You'll accept your limitations as a parent. Okay, I can't be perfect. That's okay. You'll be kind to yourself instead of hard on yourself when you need some rest. You'll ask for help rather than trying to strive to be a parent all on your own. You'll trust God with your child, knowing that he's ultimately in control. Why? Because the work of self-justification, approving yourself, of establishing your own identity through what you do is over. The rest can begin. And even when this life, like now with coronavirus, is so fragile and so uncertain, and even when in this life people die and get ill and things go wrong, and even in this life when so many of our desires are not met and so many of our expectations are not met and there's so much disappointment and suffering and heartache, we can look forward to another rest when God calls us home and will enjoy being in his presence. The battle will be over. The curse will be fully removed. Shame will be a thing of the past. And God will be all in all. And we will rest in our being, in our relationships, with our world, and ultimately with God. So the writer to Hebrews finishes the passage by saying, let, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. So no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Let's not make the same mistake as the Israelites. They have the promised land. We have the new creation and heaven. The temptation of the Hebrews was to give up on Jesus. Let's not give up on him. In him, there is rest. Outside of him, there is no ultimate rest of the soul. To finish, I just want to bring a few practical applications. If you, if you don't know the rest of the soul, these practical applications won't help. But if in Jesus, you know, the rest of the soul, these can really help. The first one is to work from a position of rest. I think I saw Matthew put this in the chat pane. The pattern of creation is not work, 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 work until I'm exhausted and I need to rest. It's rest so I can work well. It's not work so I just live for the weekends and find myself wrecked again. I'm actually resting really well so I can work really well. Work from a position of rest, not work until you need rest. Secondly, try and find weekly and seasonal rhythms of rest. Israel was to rest every seven days. Israel had these three big festivals every year where they came to Jerusalem to worship. Israel had to rest every seven years. The land had to rest. The animals had to rest every seven times seven. The, the, the Jubilee year, the, the 50th year, everything had to rest and be reorganized. So there's patterns of rest, weekly and seasonal. Make sure you have longer holidays, longer breaks, longer times without social media, as well as weekly times. Think about how you can rest weekly and seasonally. Let me give you a few. I'm not, a, I'm not perfect on this, but I, I have learned some lessons. I start each day, most days, with a bit of time in prayer and scripture, enjoying God. That's one of the ways I rest every morning. I sleep slightly longer on a Saturday and Leanne gets up with the kids. And I take Saturdays off from all church and all work stuff. The odd time that changes, but on the whole. And I use my phone very little on Saturdays. I'm deliberately using my phone less and less, and I just moved my phone to grayscale, so it's less attractive to me. We'll be looking at this in the seminar next week. Every, uh, I take a retreat day about every six to eight weeks, or at least once a term, to pray and think and read. I head off to Dunleary, and I think and I read and I pray. 
I make sure I get two week holidays at Christmas and summer, complete switch off, social, everything off, just to be with family and, uh, and to have some space. And I was fortunate enough with HubSpot and, and the kindness of you guys to get a sabbatical after seven years of working. So the, my point is it's planned, it's deliberate, it's weekly, it's seasonal. Thirdly, remember rest is active and passive, communal and alone. Rest is active. It's not just crashing and sleeping. Uh, it's, 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 you know, Israel had to worship patterns, family patterns, eating patterns. They came together, uh, but, but there, was a, there were passive as well, and they had to stop doing things. So it's active and passive. I guess the way to think about it is, is rest is not about being so much productive. It's not about being profitable. So it doesn't mean I just don't do anything, but I'm not doing what I normally do throughout the week. Uh, and whatever that is. So there's an activeness to it that has to be planned as well as a passiveness. And it's communal and alone. I, you know, rest can't be purely alone. We need to be with others and it can't be purely with others. We need to learn how to be alone. So rest is active and passive, communal and alone. Uh, finally, rest is about worship. It's about finding joy in God and in everything he's given us and enjoying this moment and praising him in this moment and saying, this moment is yours. And my final thought that I added this morning is, why don't each of us take this enforced rest that we're being given by God through this virus, where we can't get out, we can't do lots of things, and I know that's hard, but why don't we see it as an opportunity to grow spiritually, to read scripture, to read books we've never read that we wanted to read, to pray, to journal, to reflect. And most of all, to not binge on the world during a time when we can't get out of our homes as much, but to feast on Jesus. There's a moment when God is saying, I've given you a rest for the next season. Use it wisely. Think about how you're going to use this two, three, four, who knows how many weeks. So let me pray. And then we're going to have a song to finish. The song's called Cornerstone, and it talks about his finished work in it. But let's take a moment. Just take a moment to be quiet where you are. Uh, you maybe want to close your eyes and just ponder. We thank you, Jesus, that you came and you did all that was required to bring us the rest that all our lives we'd been searching for. St. Augustine famously said in the 4th or 5th century, our hearts remain restless until they find rest in you. I pray today, Lord, you teach us afresh that we don't need to prove ourselves. We don't need to establish our own identities. We don't need to be in control. We're not in control. It's an illusion. And as we let go of all that and just cling to you and we see what you've done to make us secure, to make us significant, to make us significant, you've given us all that, that we might know a deep rest in our souls, which means we can practice some of these principles of working from a position of rest or finding weekly and seasonal rest of being alone and together, of being passive and active, of planning our rest better, of worshipping you and finding joy in you and the good gifts you've given us. Not living for tomorrow, but enjoying today. And Lord, at this time where there's lots of confusion, may we be able to find a rest in you and a rest in our hearts and use the enforced rest and the extra time we're going to have by ourselves and in our homes 
to not binge on this world, but to feast on you. In Jesus' name, amen.